Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 10 We'll move the pallets and carts away from the doors by the registers last, because those doors have taken the most damage, Nicole said. Sam stared at her. You want to let all those bugs in here? He said. Nicole stared back. Yes, it's the only way to get them away from the car. And if we keep screwing around, they're going to be in here anyway, so let's move, she said. Sam turned and walked away. All those bugs in here mean an infestation, which does not make for a pleasant shopping experience, he said, throwing up his hands in defiant surrender. Nicole and Sam stood in front of the glass doors by the registers. The plan was to make their way back to the receiving area, removing the pallets from the doors as they went. We don't have much time. We clear the last of the doors, then race back to receiving, understand? Nicole said. After we set off the bug bombs. Sam said, correcting her. That's right, Sam. We get the bugs inside, we get them all, Nicole said. They both grabbed the handle on the pallet jack and pulled the load of concrete mix away from the door. The effect was immediate. Just as the pallet was moved, the doors began to sag inward, almost to the breaking point. The bottom of the doors did give way, sound and smell immediately rushing in. All right, Sam, let's go, Nicole said. The two ran down to the doors by customer service and pulled that pallet away as well. These doors were no stronger than the others were and began to buckle. Not waiting around, they hurried over to the first set of doors leading to the greenhouse area. Here the dead were not so thick and upon moving the pallet away, the doors only rattled and shook. Nicole started towards the last set of doors. She turned when she saw Sam wasn't following her. Where are you going? Nicole said. Sam did not look back at her. I've got to start setting off the bug bombs, remember? I know this is a scary situation, but try to keep it together, okay? Sam said. Nicole sighed and rolled her eyes. I'll just get this last pallet myself then, she said. As Sam walked away, Nicole struggled with the last pallet. Thoughts of throwing out her back and lying on the floor, unable to move, filled her mind. She imagined being a zombie buffet while Sam scratched his head and wondered why nobody at 911 was picking up. She pulled the pallet away and down a side aisle, far enough so that when they caved in, the blocks would not create a bottleneck. More of the dead inside meant less outside, taking an interest in her. She turned and was about to call out for Sam to hurry when the lock broke and the doors were pushed open wide enough to let three runners slip inside. Others clambered in to fill the gap, but a huge walker that even in death looked to weigh 400 pounds blocked the opening. Nicole screamed as she saw them advance on her. She was fast, but they were faster. 
she wondered if there would be enough of her left to even become a zombie when she looked up and saw Sam racing down the aisle towards her on a forklift, blowing the horn and signaling for her to get out of the way. Nicole jumped to the side as Sam smashed into the advancing runners. They exploded in a spray of pus, blood, and guts as the forklift knocked them down and rolled over them. Nicole watched in amazement as Sam cruised past her. On the forklift, Sam stomped the brakes and the wheels stopped, but he did not. Bodily fluids and internal organs covered the floor and clogged the tread on the forklift as it crashed into the doors. Glass shattered and the dead wasted no time. They clambered in, trying to squeeze past the forklift. Nicole stared in horror as Sam struggled to unbuckle his seatbelt. He's going to be a sandwich, Nicole thought, and immediately chastised herself for choosing humor as a coping mechanism. Come on, Sam, she said. Sam unbuckled and jumped from the lift as more of the dead poured in, blocking their way back to receiving. Nicole took only a second before a thought came to her. She turned and began to climb the shelves of the racks. Sam saw what she was doing and quickly followed her. They reached the top and looked back down. Thirty feet below them, the dead clamored. Nicole turned on Sam. A forklift? We could have been using a forklift to move those pallets? She said. Sam was nonplussed. We couldn't. There was no other employees here. Safety rules clearly state that during business hours, while customers are in the store, aisle blockers and spotters are required when using the power equipment, he said. Nicole thought briefly of shoving Sam off the shelf into the hoard below. Sam looked down at them. What are we going to do now? I set those bug bombs off, but it would not be good to be in here when it starts to fill up, he said. As opposed to now? Nicole said, turning and looking at the rows of racking behind them. Five rows of shelves of equal height led to the receiving area. Nicole crawled to the opposite edge and looked across the aisle to the next shelf. What do you think that is, six feet? She said. Sam turned and looked at the width of the aisle. Yeah, why? He said. Because we're going to have to jump for it, she said. Before Sam could respond, Nicole leapt across the aisle. She landed on the other shelf and rolled, her momentum carrying her over the edge. Now it was Sam's turn to stare in her as he watched Nicole disappear from view. Precious seconds passed before he saw Nicole throw up her hand and tried to climb back up. A little help, she said, as her head appeared. Sam readied himself and jumped across. He landed on the shelf and steadied himself, then helped Nicole up to a sitting position. The dead remained where they were, their addled brains unable to work the logic of what was happening above them. Four more to go, Nicole said, as she readied herself for the next jump. Well, try not to fall this time, Sam said. Words to live by, Nicole said, as she made the leap. She landed on the next aisle and held on tight. Three more jumps and they were staring down at the receiving bay door. Behind them, the dead were still squeezing in past the forklift by the droves. Sounds of the other doors in the store being twisted and pushed open mixed with the cacophony of moans from the dead. Sam and Nicole climbed down the shelves and ran to their waiting carts. Grabbing the animal repellent, they doused the curtains in the foul-smelling liquid, then climbed underneath them and waited. Nicole could hear the doors caving in and knew they had only seconds left before hundreds of the dead 
would rush into them, rush into them and away from her car. Outside the receiving bay door, just inches away from Sam and Nicole, the dead pounded in impatient fury. Nicole reached over and unscrewed the caps off two five-gallon gas cans. When Sam had said he was going to set the bug bombs, she had agreed. It was the only way she could get him to help her. Sam had taken precious time setting up the bug bombs along the floor. It was a good plan, he had said. Once all the bugs were in the store and the bombs set off, they would die. Cleanup would be a hassle, but then it would be back to business. She had agreed to the bug bombs to appease Sam's delusion. Mostly, though, she agreed because the insecticide spraying from the cans was highly flammable. She placed the butane lighter on the cart between her knees. On the cart in front of hers, Sam waited for the signal. He had his axe handle he would use to reach out and open the receiving bay door. A tremendous crash from the front of the store was met almost simultaneously by a crash from the other set of doors by the greenhouse area. The glass doors caved in, and the dead rushed forward. Now, Sam, Nicole said. Sam stuck his axe handle out of the front of the cart and pushed the open button on the bay door. He withdrew the axe handle back under the curtains and waited. Sam and Nicole remained still under the curtains as the dead surged in. The first wave rushed past, knocking and bumping the carts. The dead from all sides surged into the breaches around the store, searching for the meal they sensed was there. Under her curtain, Nicole fought back the urge to cry, waiting for the bulk of the dead to pass them. She was about to give the signal to Sam when three of the dead became focused on her cart. She could see their shadows through the curtain. They circled the cart. Leaning in, they sniffed at it. Nicole could hear their wheezing, and she almost retched from the smell. She could hear the dead now moving throughout the store. It would only be minutes before they discovered them. Even if by sheer accident, she knew they would be discovered eventually. Their window of opportunity was small and closing. The sights, sounds, and smells of what was occurring threatened to overwhelm her. Her breathing lost its rhythm, and she began to hyperventilate. She broke out into a cold sweat, and tunnel vision set in as her mind screamed for her to get out of there, to run as fast as she could. She grasped at the curtains and was about to rip them away when another voice screamed in her head, louder than her panic, more commanding than her fear. It was not the voice she heard at Friendly's or her own voice, but the voice of her father. As a child, she had watched her father drill recruits in survival training. It had perhaps been only once, and she had not recalled it since. But now his voice cut through the fear and calmed her. Decide to survive. Size up your situation. Use all your senses. Vanquish fear and panic. Improvise and improve. Value living. Act like the natives. Live by your training. A resolve formed in her mind and her nerves steadied. Nicole let go of the curtain. She slowed her breathing and focused on a spot in front of her. After what seemed an eternity, the three dead lost interest and shuffled on deeper into the store. She would survive. She knew what she had to do. Now, Sam, now, Nicole said, her voice a whisper. She peeked through the curtain and watched Sam begin to push out through the bay door. Nicole tipped over one of the gas cans, spilling the fuel in a trail behind her as she too began to push. They had gone fifty yards. 
Nicole's arms burned and she struggled to keep her breath as she and Sam rounded the first corner. The chain-link fence that had formed the outer perimeter of the greenhouse area lay trampled. Many of the dead who lined the side wall had followed others storming through the back and front. Several still struggled against the wall, trying to get in, blind to everything but their hunger. Their gore coated the length of the wall, a finger-painted mural of viscera. The wall above their hellish clamoring artwork remained untouched, a fit commentary. There were only the dead, the living, and a thin line between them. Still on the living side of that line, Sam and Nicole pushed past, inch by precious inch. Nicole peered out through a slit in the curtains and tried to keep her cart moving in a straight line. The way was long and tough enough already. There was no use in making it longer by meandering. She could not see out the sides, and for that she was grateful. When they were halfway, Nicole tipped her second gas can, careful not to let the empty one fall out and alert the remaining dead to their presence. Her breath was ragged, and the pain in her arms and chest tore at her, a battle cry to stop and rest. Ignoring their calls, she quickened her pace. They went unnoticed by the dead as they rounded the front corner. Nicole stared down the home stretch leading to her car. The GTO was clear, but twenty dead still milled about the front walls. Nicole turned and watched the last of the gas leak from the can. She stopped her cart and reached down for the lighter. She clicked it several times. Nothing. Nicole stopped and took a breath. Relax, Nicole. You have all the time in the world. Improvise and improve, she said. Gripping the lighter, she slowly pressed down on the button. A two-inch flame sprang up. Nicole leaned back and lit the trail of gas behind her. The fuel combusted and a line of fire raced away. Just as she was about to turn around, one of the dead shuffled across the gas trail and stopped, blocking the flame's progress. The fire raced to the shuffler and lit it up. A new smell filled the air as fire consumed rotting flesh. Black smoke rose and stained the sky above it as it stumbled. It could feel no pain and hardly seemed to notice that its body, once ravished by decomposition, was now melting away under the flames. The inferno did its work as what was left of tendon, muscle, and bone succumbed. Nicole had hoped that in getting away she could destroy this horde, both for the distraction it would cause and the deadly threat it would eliminate. The shuffler stepped away from the gas trail and fell to its knees. Nicole watched, disappointment nipping at the edges of her emotion. Just as she gave up hope that she would be able to destroy the horde, the shuffler fell backward. Its flaming hand touched the gas trail, and the stream of fire resumed its course. Nicole breathed a sigh of relief and then turned. She saw that Sam had already moved around to the passenger side. He tossed in his axe handle and climbed inside. Feeling like her arms were going to snap off, she ignored the pain and began pushing again. Nicole cursed the agony in her arms and chest. The dead felt no such pain, would not stop or slow down because of it. Fully aflame, the dead behind her only fell when all ability to move was seared to ash. As Nicole strained against her own body, she wondered if all her efforts were only prolonging the time until the day came when her strength or will would fail, and she would go down in a gnashing frenzy. It made her angry, and her anger spurred her on. Maybe there would be such a time, she thought, but it wasn't going to be this time. Nicole approached the GTO just as Sam opened the driver's side door for her. She quietly rolled out from under the curtain, 
climbed behind the wheel and eased her door closed. Inserting the key into the ignition, she waited. Sam stared at the store. It'll take a couple of hours to work, but when we come back, all we need to do is clean up, Sam said. Nicole stared out through her windshield. That's right, Sam, she said. The first explosions came from the rear of the store as the fire met the air oversaturated with insect repellent in receiving. As soon as she heard the sound, Nicole cranked the engine on the GTO and dropped it in reverse. What was that? Sam said. Just hold on, Sam, Nicole said as she hit the gas. The car flew backwards in a cloud of smoke as secondary explosions rocked the store. She cranked the wheel in a whiplash 180 and slammed the GTO into drive. Tires screamed as she fishtailed out of the parking lot and down the road towards Fair Valley. Through the back window of the GTO, Sam stared at his store, now burning and exploding. Something went wrong! We have to go back! he said. Nicole stared down the two-lane in front of her. There is no going back, Sam, she said. The GTO's speedometer approached the red line as Fair Valley loomed in the distance. Chapter 11 Almost since the dawn of time, humanity has pondered the great question. Arriving at answers that suit them, many consider the matter resolved. Others, less than satisfied, continue to debate it. Philosophers and spiritualists throughout the ages have made ample use of their time, catechizing orthodoxy concerning the implications regarding it. Whole sects have formed, taking one view or another concerning those implications. Many have died defending their views, while still others have perished advancing them. The question is sublime in its simplicity, convoluted in its exposition. Are events that transpire part of a determined plan, or are they random? Nicole Bennett thought nothing of leaving Pinelli's and walking across the street to Pete Baxwell's dealership. Had she been asked, her response would have indicated nothing more than a choice rooted in free will and aesthetic preference. Nicole was not a philosopher in the strictest sense. Pete Maxwell and Alphonse Pinelli ran dealerships in extreme proximity to each other. This fact did not weigh on Pete Maxwell's mind in the least. He was confident that people who bought his cars had no interest whatsoever in the foreign jobs that Alphonse Pinelli sold. He was equally sure that no one considering an automobile from Pinelli's was a customer he was going to be able to steal away. Pete Maxwell, on some level, believed in an ordered plan. He believed that God, in his infinite wisdom, had created people in a great diversity. Some would like his cars, others would not. Had Pete Maxwell been asked about his views on the great question, he might have indicated that he was a firm believer in treating people the way you wanted to be treated, and kindness pays you back in spades. Had Alphonse Pinelli been asked a great question, he would have told you it was meant to be for him to extend his foreign car empire to all land bordering his. According to Alphonse Pinelli, there was not a great diversity of people brought into existence by a benevolent creator. They were only those who could appreciate his cars, and more importantly afford them, and there were those who could not. These others were a country trash, hicks, and a riffraff in his mind. He saw Pete Maxwell's dealership as a blight, an impediment to his expansion. He viewed both Pete and his customers with disdain that bordered on harassment. He would harangue Pete from across the street with verbal disparagements as to his lineage. 
when new shipments of cars would arrive, Pennelly would park his trucks in such a way as to block access to Maxwell's lot. Pennelly had once offered to purchase Maxwell's dealership, offering an insultingly low amount for it. Through it all, Pete Maxwell would only smile and let it slide. Even when urged by his customers and employees alike to go over and give Alphonse Pennelly some two-fisted southern hospitality, Pete Petey Maxwell would only grin and espouse his live-and-let-live philosophy. When the world turned and the dead started eating the living, Pete Maxwell and Alphonse Pennelly went to their dealerships. Both men valued their business and considered it an extension of themselves. While certainly disturbed about the global turn of events, Alphonse Pennelly's chief concern was how it was all going to affect his business. He comforted himself by showing off his merchandise to women of wealth at questionable virtue. He plied them with expensive wine, and with his formidable salesmanship, found it easy to turn the end of the world into a tool of seduction. On one particular evening, Alphonse Pennelly brought back to his showroom one Bella Morenka, recently of Czechoslovakia, and money. Her first name meant white, and her last name meant bitter, and so it proved for Alphonse Pennelly. Bella was into raves and uppers, and could afford both in excess. Hours prior to joining Pennelly in his showroom, for some end-of-the-world amorous relations on the hood of a certain 2013 Ferrari F12 Berlinetta, Miss Marenka had attended a rave where someone she had never met before, but certainly had sex with, bit her on the inside of her right thigh. By the time Pennelly was well on his way to expanding his territory into Bella Marenka, she turned and ripped out his throat. She continued her feast, eating away most of the flesh in his lower back and right thigh. At 350 pounds, all fat and hardly any muscle, Alphonse Pennelly only succeeded in expanding the territory in Bella Marenka's stomach cavity. Upon reanimating, Alphonse Pennelly shuffled across the street to Pete Maxwell's dealership. Pete never owned a gun. He never saw the need. Sleeping in the back until all this craziness blew over, Pete was awakened by a very hungry Alphonse Pennelly forcing his way into his office. At first trying to reason with Pennelly, then reluctantly giving him some of the vicious, two-fisted southern hospitality that so many had urged him to deliver before, Pete Petey Maxwell went down. Times being what they are, no one was considering the great question much anymore. In his withdrawal and shock, Sam Jennings wasn't. Nicole wasn't either, as she sped away from the burning home improvement supercenter. Had she been, though, she might have thanked whoever orchestrated the series of events that made Pete Maxwell open a dealership where he did and sell the kind of cars he had. She might have offered up a gesture of gratitude to that power for allowing her to prefer the GTO over the Ferrari. As she flew down the highway, she encountered a group of five shufflers in the center of the road, stragglers saved from destruction by their tardiness. Not seeing them in time, Nicole plowed the GTO into and through the first four of them. Limbs and things that connected limbs flew in all directions, and landed in the road behind her. Continuing to swerve, the GTO hit the fifth and exploded it in a shower of browns, reds, and greens before Nicole could regain control. Had she been in the Ferrari with its light-body construction, she almost certainly would have totaled the car with the impact, dying either in the crash outright or in the feast afterward. The GTO, with its heavy steel-body construction, sped virtually unscathed 
toward Fair Valley. Nicole Bennett was not pondering the great question as she checked her rearview mirror. Had she realized that the fifth shuffler to fall victim to Pete Maxwell's heavy metal that day was none other than a wandering Alphonse Spinelli, she just might have. <laughs>